Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, everybody? It's Zane Nackby and Al Sacco for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And Al, I have returned. I have returned safe and sound. Um, you know, I can finally tell people where we went. We we went to Europe. We went to Paris, Venice, and Rome, and had a long flight back. And you know, it was it was a great trip. And before I know, you, I know you want to get get to the game and everything. But before we get to that, I, I sincerely want to thank um, our guest hosts, Taylor Price and Tracy Sandler, for filling in. I you know they did they did a great job. I really really appreciate it. Al appreciate appreciates it, and uh, you know our listeners. They all loved it, so thank you so much to Taylor and uh, and Tracy. I'm not going to lie; I spent two weeks trying to replace you. I uh, just sent out <laughs> emails. I said, "Listen, this guy's out of the country. Um, <laughs> get him out of my hair." Uh, nobody wanted to do a show with me, so you're back. So congratulations! <laughs> now you were you were greatly missing. Um, it, the show's not the same without you. And our listeners feel the same way, so it's good to have you back. And I know you had a good time. I, I wish you sort of um, came back to see a better result in the game. Mm-hmm. But I think you could look at this two ways. So the Niners going to Seattle, tough 12-9 loss. And you could look at it where this is just another loss for a team that has 31 of them in their last 39 games. It's another pathetic offensive output for a franchise that hasn't scored more than 28 points since week 16, since week 16 of 2014. Another unsightly quarterback performance that's becoming all too familiar over the last 15 years. Or... You can see a defense that played really well, especially on the D-line and looks to be positioned to do so for the foreseeable future. And a defense that did this without their best play, one of their best players anyway, Ruben Foster, and with Eric Reed getting hurt. You could point to a running game that gained 159 yards on 19 carries without any threat of a passing game at all. You could hang your hat on the fact that Seattle has been a house of horrors for the 49ers the last four or five years, and the team went in there, and look, they were in position to win the game late in the fourth quarter. So have to ask yourself are you a glass half full person are you a glass half empty person or are you so frustrated at this point that it doesn't matter and i know zane has strong opinions on that and i have strong opinions on that and either way i can buy where you're coming from and there's lots to get into here and a lot to dissect and we're actually going to begin this discussion with our guest today dan brown from the mercury news he's an award-winning writer for the mercury news and author of 100 things 49ers fans should know and do before they die which is a must-read, really, for any 49ers fans. Personally, when I read it, I, I couldn't put the book down. He is Dan Brown. Dan, thanks for taking the time to talk with us. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Now, as we said, Dan, you, you've won multiple awards for your journalism, and you really have had a very accomplished career as a writer. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in the profession and eventually how you ended up where you are today? Gosh, I mean, it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a crazy thing. In eighth grade, the teacher assigned us to do a, a, a research report and the topic didn't matter. The point was, go research something, find out more about it, put it all in the words, which you learned. So I did something on the history of Candlestick Park. And I thought, it was so fun that halfway through this thing, I realized, I think there's a job where you can do this forever. You know, where you can write about it sports, where you can research stuff, where you can find out things about the sports history and the personalities and, um, you know, the backstories of the games we watch. And that's... Uh, what I began pursuing kind of right then and there. 
So you started at a young age. It's like Cam Inman. When we talked to him, he I said he was like the LeBron James of sports writing because he started so young. So same for you. You were like you started very young. You're like a child prodigy at this, right? Yeah, LeBron. Uh, if Cam said he's LeBron James, I'm more of the. Uh, uh, I'll go with the Todd Fuller. Um, <laughs> try, trying to think of a more obscure name. Um, no, I, I think that's the key. Probably the key to anything you want to do in life. I think if you get started early. Um, I, you get a lot of mistakes out of the way before anybody's watching. I mean, I worked in the college paper, um, wrote some terrible, awful, um, unreadable stories, but I did them then, and I kind of got them out of the way, and I was smart enough to at least pay attention to why the stories were bad or why other people's stories were better and really kind of obsessed over how to get a little bit like the Harbaugh thing, get percent better every day. And... I had good people around me. The guy who hired me at the uh, UC Davis, I should put up my UC Davis plug, um, at the UC Davis campus paper was a guy named Howard Beck, who's gone, gone on to be a really accomplished NBA writer for um, LA, or, uh, LA Daily News, New York Times, and then um, now he's the big guy at, uh, at Bleacher Report. And, you know, he, was a big, he happened to be a big Niners fan, and his, he became a Niners fan because of the catch. He watched it on TV, jumped off his couch, and, and just wanted to live in that world of... Uh, of sports. So, um, you know, he's a really smart guy in terms of the storytelling aspect. And then also just the, you know, people forget it's a reporting job. You have to find stuff out. You have to pick up the phone. You have to, uh, you know, now it's email and Twitter and all that stuff, but you've got to find people and you've got to, if you're going to tell the story of, you know, why Roger Craig is Roger Craig or, uh, you know, even Kaepernick's backstory. How did he end up as an activist of all things? Well, you go to Turlock and you talk to his high school coaches and you talk to his high school counselors and find out, you know, what put this guy on that on that path. And, um, you know, there's always surprises and I like that part of the job. And Dan Zane here. So I think the sequel to your book could be 101 things 49ers should know and do before they die. And I think the 101st thing should be they should know about this podcast and they should listen to it, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I did think about putting a media element in there because <laughs> I think that's become a thing is, is uh, you know, in this world that I grew up in, it was my hometown newspaper and that was it. So now there are a lot of resources and um, websites and different voices and uh, it's become kind of a fun thing of covering your favorite or following your favorite team is um, who you get the news from. Right. And how long did it take you to write your book? And can you kind of take us through the process of piecing it together? Um, yeah, I don't, I think their actual writing took probably three months, but part of that was because I'd written so much about the old time Niners and kind of the glory, especially the glory era Niners, the Roger Craig and Joe Montana, Steve Young, you know, I write about those guys kind of as my job. So I had stuff, I had little stories that I never got into the paper. Um, I had, uh, at least the parameters of their personal histories at my disposal. And so those kind of came quickly, but the generation before that, so like a Dave Wilcox or God, I'm drawing a blank on the, one of the, one of the great running backs, kind of the forgotten guys. So it's ironic now that I've forgotten about him, but um, not as big as like a Hugh McElhaney or a Joe Perry. You know, mm -hmm. Those guys are great, great, great. But you know, some of those sixties guys that played under um, Dick Nolan, um, I didn't know anything about him. So it was fun to, to get a hold of some of them and to, to write about them. And then, you know, blend the old and the new, because at that time I was writing the book, it was Frank Gore and Justin Smith and guys that you knew were great. Um, and I had to kind of guess, like, how long are they going to stick around and be part of the Niners 
family. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, the, uh, Roger Craig did the forward for the book, and he, I give him a lot of credit because he um, he's really connected to the Niners' history because he, he appreciates the the uh, part of history that he was um, in terms of his luck being drafted on that team under Bill Walsh and playing along Montana and being there for the transition to Steve Young and playing with Ronnie Lott. He lives in the Bay Area, and he's followed the fortunes of the of the franchises as they've gone through their ups and downs since he left. And he was a great resource just to um, just to bounce stuff off of. Now, as far as this current Niner team, uh, I want to get into this week two loss a little bit with you, and I want to start off with some positives because there definitely are some, despite how ugly things have looked at times. And one of those is Robert Salah's defense, and this unit's really performed admirably in the first two games, um, especially on, on the defensive line. What are your thoughts on this young defense and, and where they might be headed? Yeah, I watched that a lot yesterday because I think that was the, if the Niners were going to pull the upset over the Seahawks, it was going to be that that defensive line uh, that played pretty well in the opener and, of course, is stocked with a lot of young talent going against kind of this struggling Seahawks offensive line, and that's pretty much how it played out. The Seahawks had had as much trouble moving the ball as the Niners did for, for a lot of the game. Um, I think the defense looked terrific, and I think it's one of that old cliche about a good defensive line, it makes the secondary better. Because now the quarterback doesn't have as much time to sit back there in the pocket and find the open guy, and uh, the, the defensive backs don't have to cover as long. Because I think that secondary, I thought, was going to be a big question mark when they started the season. I, I, I didn't think they looked good in preseason. I didn't, they certainly didn't look good in practice when we were down there. But when you get, like they say, it's not always the, uh, the sack total. When you get all those hurries, when you get all those pressures and you kind of disrupt things, it really helps everybody else out. And I thought Solomon um, Thomas looked good uh, at times. I thought um, Buckner played well. You know, all those long, young guys kind of did what they were drafted to do. And I think that, like you said, that's, um, if you're going to point to a sign of optimism, that's it. And taking a look at the not-so-positive, and that's kind of hard for me because I'm, I'm, our listeners know that I'm kind of the optimist of, out of Al and I. I don't want to say Al's a pessimist, but he's like slightly less optimistic, I think. That's the proper term. But I'm getting bitter in my old age, I think. Yeah, I'm becoming more pessimistic. <laughs> yeah, so looking at the not-so-positive, uh, Dan, the offense looked particularly poor in the first two weeks. And would you really attribute that to growing pains of a new scheme, or is there something bigger that we're not seeing? Um, that's a good question because I, I thought about that. I mean, I think Hoyer is actually pretty good. I'm kind of stunned by his bad start. I think that I believe in all the reasons they acquired him, that he knows the Shanahan's offense, that he's a veteran enough to um, get the ball to the right place, might lack some of the skills some of the other big quarterbacks uh, have, but I thought as a kind of a caretaker quarterback to get him through the season, he would be fine. And, um, you know, Goodwin dropping a pass at a key spot in both games um, isn't great. You know, he, he had that catch inside the 10 yesterday, and he just dropped it. The whole game kind of turned right there. That's not a Hoyer. That's not an anybody else but Goodwin. But no touchdowns uh, in eight quarters to start the season is troubling, and Hoyer's missed some throws. I kind of wrote about his bad performance today because he said after the game, you know, I played badly. I'm looking in the mirror. Kind of this one's on me. And he did. I mean, he threw that pick right to um, blank on the Seahawks guy who p- picked it up. But he hit him right in the chest. The linebacker hit him right in the chest. And yeah, Bobby Wagner. Yeah. That's right. Bo- okay, Wagner. 
But then he also made some mistakes that you'd think a rookie quarterback might make. He almost took a sack in the uh, end zone for the safety. He um, had that kind of a horrible, ugly, weird, um, intentional grounding call when he just chucked it up there. Um, it didn't end up hurting him, but he took a sack in field goal range, then the field goal anyway. And those are things that you think a young quarterback does. So he has disappointed me on the mental side. You know, granted, the Seahawks defense is great, and they're playing in that building when they're even greater. So it's a tough measure, but uh, Hoyer certainly did not do his part yesterday in, in a game that they could have won. And Hoyer has had a couple rough games here, and you wrote, I read your article um, today that you, you said you think he has a pretty long leash. And look, like you said, he's played tough defenses. Carolina hasn't given up a touchdown yet this year. We know what Seattle is. Um, but you wrote about that long leash. How long do you think that leash is, Dan? Do you think seeing with C.J. Beathard behind him, do you think Shanahan loses patience at some point if it continues this way, or is Hoyer going to be the starter for most of the season regardless? I that's a good question because it does um, – it will be a test on Shanahan. I, he, Shanahan wasn't super happy after the game yesterday either. He was super blunt, and it sounds like reverse logic, but he was super blunt, I think, because he – I don't think he was trying to send a message to Hoyer. I don't think he was um, hinting at a change. I think he was blunt because he knows Hoyer's his guy, and he can afford to be honest, and he doesn't have to sugarcoat anything. You know, the, he, Hoyer needs to be better. I think. So at least half a season. Um, you know, that did look pretty good in the preseason. He certainly didn't look overmatched. He comes from a pro-style op- uh, offense, so I think his learning curve is not like it is a lot of these young guys. Um, I think the reason they drafted him is because he was so poised under pressure and, and uh, doesn't get rattled, so that's a benefit. But you know, realistically, what's, what's the point? Um, you know, this is probably not a playoff contender. Probably having him sit and learn and watch and do all those things without getting banged up isn't the worst thing in the world. Maybe near the end of the season, they'll give him a taste of the action, uh, maybe find out a little bit more about what they've got, but certainly they're not going not gonna to rush that. And Dan, what do you, uh, specifically like looking at wide receiver and, and Marquise Goodwin had two drive-killing drops in two weeks, uh, would you say his drop in week two cost the team the game? And he he kind of hasn't much had much of a track record um, coming into the season, and the 49ers are trusting him to be the number two. Did they kind of make a mistake here, um, or do we have to give Goodwin more time? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, too, because uh, he was one of the stars of training camp. Now, granted, it's a horrible uh, place to make any kind of measurements because it's just practice, and you don't know what the defensive backs are working on, and... Uh, you know, some guys play better when there's nobody watching. And But he was fantastic. He was constantly uh, getting loose uh, deep in the second day. He and Hoyer seem to have a really good thing going in terms of chemistry on the deep routes. I think there's more there. Um, I, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, including me, were telling people, hey, get Goodwin on your, take him as a deep sleeper on your fantasy team because he's going to surprise some people. Um I'm going to say that Monday he has a big game. I mean, I'm sorry, Monday. Thursday, he's going to have a big game. I, I just think there's more there. I think that was not a 100% mirage that we saw in training camp. He's, he's you know, the Hoyers facing a tough defense. He's t- facing really tough defensive backs. Probably isn't a true measure of, of what he can do. He may not be superstar, but I, I think he certainly he's, he's better than what's, what's, uh, what he's been showing. Now, Dan... 
Seattle has been a house of horrors for the 49ers, and they really should have won that game. I mean, at the end of the fourth quarter, like you said, if it wasn't for that drop by Goodwin, they, they probably would come away with a win there. So how do you see the mindset for this team right now? It's been really ugly on offense. The defense is getting better. Do you think they see this game as a positive? Do you see things as still looking up for the Niners in that locker room? Or could this snowball and could they get a little bit down on themselves here? I didn't sense that because that was one of the questions that was asked a lot yesterday. You know, do you see this as a moral victory? Are, are you encouraged by anything you saw today? I didn't really get the sense that they felt that way. Uh, you know, the flip side is the Seahawks had a couple drops too. Uh, they dropped one in the end zone and another sure first down later. Uh, you know, so they pointed the same thing and say, hey, we could have won this game handily. There was two big scoring opportunities we let, let get away. Um, you know, if they lose to the Rams at home and start 0-3 and it's another dismal offensive performance, I think you're going to start getting a little bit of um, anxiousness about what's going on. But the difference between this, I don't know, this vibe, this, this coaching staff, is I think that there is a long-term, you know, already there are po- positives you can point to. Hey, the defensive line is better. Hey, that defensive scheme looks pretty good. Hey, they were just a throw away. I think in previous years, you know, there's kind of nothing. They were just getting killed. Um, you know, I don't know if players can afford to look at look at like that because they don't know if they're going to be here for the long term outlook. But I think if you're just watching this term, team from the outside, you can say, well, they're taking baby steps. Um, you know, maybe one week it's going to be the offense, maybe one week it's the defense. But it's not. It's not chaos. It's not. Um, ineptitude it's not whatever it's just the very very what we're seeing is the very very beginning of kind of a long-term um changeover and i think that lynch and shanahan you know i, I believe i believe in what they're doing i think they've got a good plan i think they're going to be good coaches uh, good leadership um it's just going to take a while i think that you know besides win wins and losses i've been watching over the past couple of years for just a sign of progress and i think that now you've got something to hang your hat on, even after these two kind of, you know, ugly-ish defeats. But you, at least you can find some silver lining without looking too hard. And, Dan, you mentioned scheme a little bit um, just now. And, and the 49ers were able to run the ball with some success on offense. And defensively, there was a lot of guys. There was a lot of rotation, especially along the defensive line. We saw Solomon Thomas coming out on long passing downs and Elvis Dumerville coming in and him and Aaron Lynch being the bookends. Do you kind of see... Um, a, a change in scheme for the next uh, the next few games, given the fact that the offense has struggled and, and the defense is, is playing well? Do you feel like the scheme will stay the same on defense and change on offense and vice versa? I think the scheme will stay the same on defense. I mean, Eric sounds like Eric Reed is going to be out this week. I don't know how what that necessitates in terms of any kind of schematic changes, if they have to do things any, any differently. I think offensively, you know, Shanahan's pretty set in his ways. He's got a system that works. He's got a track record. I think he's more likely to, you know, wait for the players to come along and show progress within that scheme than to do any dramatic changes. Boyer knows what he's doing. Um, I do think they had a tough road in the circumstances. I think I think they're going to stay the course um, in terms of that. I think that they... Um, and it helps, too, that everybody likes it. You know, I think from the first day of training camp, guys like Joe Staler saying, Shanahan is really, really smart. 
got a really, really good plan. It's fun to learn. He knows uh, he's got everybody on board. So I think the players aren't, it's not one of the situations where they're, you know, like the Jimmy Ray days where they're already grumbling about the play calls and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's going on here. They, they, they got a good system. They just have to get in, get in sync with it. Um, I think they got to get in tune with it. Um, I don't, I don't see any, any changes uh, on either side of the ball. Okay. Well, and, you know, and, one thing I'd be curious to see what they do, but by the way, I think Kyle Usich, um, the fullback, I've been expecting him to get more carries. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might be a, you know, not a dramatic thing. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him get the ball a time or two or see him involved in a, in a, a creative little play. I think they like his versatility. So, you know, maybe just to throw a surprise uh, in their uh, usage as a guy to watch. Actually, Dan, you you just answered my next question. I was kind of curious about that too. Kyle Uzcheck, he had no carries, he had no catches, no targets last game, and he was he was brought in at a really big deal for a fullback uh, to be yeah. an offensive weapon, as John Lynch kind of coined him as. And it's kind of curious to see that he's not really a, a big part of this offense. Yeah, I'm really surprised because I, I heard some rumblings that they were going to use him heavily, and uh, I didn't really know what that means heavily for a fullback, but you know, to keep him involved, and they haven't done it. And I think maybe they just tried not to get too fancy on the road against Seattle. They got a lot of noise. Um, you know, may, maybe at home, <laughs> where it hasn't been too noisy, um, usage gets a chance. And, you know, at this point, where they have to lose, right? They haven't scored a touchdown. They haven't moved the ball. You know, try a few different things. I think he's really good. I think he's very eager to get involved. We talked to him in training camp and um, – you know, smart guy, anxious to do anything they ask him. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to be chucking any passes on the option or anything, but um, maybe some direction, maybe, um, maybe get him a pass in the flat, just get him something and give the defense something else to think about. Dan, before we let you go, I'm curious, as a writer, is there one piece or one story when you look back at your career that you're sort of most proud of or that maybe means the most to you? Um. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple. I, you know, in terms of the Niners, in terms of football stuff, I'd heard for many years stories about the super kind stuff that Eddie D, uh, Eddie DeBarlow did for uh, former players in times of either illness or family tragedy or some hardship. And um, people always told me, like, oh, you have no idea what he's doing. Half the stuff he does, you know, he does all these things that nobody knows about. But I tried to know about them. I had to find some of the people involved and wrote about what he did for Freddie Solomon's widow and what he did for Freddie Solomon when he had cancer. He would drive him up and drive him to chemotherapy appointments and what he did for a longtime PR guy named Dave Ron, got him the best treatment when he was melanoma by his side when he died. And um, Jeff Fuller, who was injured playing in a Niners game and, and could never play football again, he instantly um, set up an annuity so that he had financial, this is before the days of big big contracts, but made sure that he was financially set for life. And all these, you know, talk to the families of these people and try to paint a different picture of what Eddie DeBarlow, um, you know, just kind of let people know what he did. And I timed it for right before the Hall of Fame vote. And I was told that, you know, maybe he would have gotten in it anyway, but I think it changed some votes. Um, he got into the Hall of Fame this year, and, and uh, that story was included in the voters' packet. And, um, you know, 
he did it. He lived it. He touched these lives. But I was proud that I got to share um, what he did for, for a lot of people. That's great. And I was lucky enough to have Gary Plummer on the show a couple of weeks ago. And the oh. things that he, he mentioned, a lot of the stories that you just told now, and, and to hear him talk about Eddie DeBardo, how he just gushed about him and genuinely cared about him because he treated his players like family. And he just went uh, as, you know above and beyond human decency and, and just did amazing things for his players and the people around him and his employees and things like that. He, yeah, he's an amazing person. So that's great. Yeah, that's great thanks. to hear. Um, Dan, this was, a, this was a lot of fun to have you on. We really appreciate the time. Good luck this season, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, thanks, guys. Anytime. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Dan for being on the show. It was great to have him on and hear his insight. And I know he was in Seattle this weekend, so you know he's got his finger on the pulse of what was going on there. But for me, you know, I mentioned in the opening, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty person? And I want to say that I'm still half full with this, but it just gets to the point where it's just frustrating. It's frustrating to see offense the way that it's been played the past couple of weeks. And you have to understand that they played two incredibly tough defenses. Like I said, on the interview with Dan Carolina hasn't given up a touchdown yet this year, the Seahawks are the Seahawks. So to go in there and expect the 49ers to look good offensively in either week is probably asking a lot, but I didn't expect them to look good. I just expected to have things to build on. In the running game certainly was something to build on in, in week two against the Seahawks, but the passing game has been utterly atrocious, Zane, absolutely atrocious. And Brian Hoyer looked terrible, I thought, absolutely mm-hmm. terrible in week two. Mm-hmm. So how are you feeling? Are you like half full? Are you half empty? Where do you stand right now? Man, I'm just glad I have a glass, honestly. Like the last the last two years, like there was there was no glass at all. It was just like there was nothing. So the fact that we even have a glass to talk about like half full or half empty, I think that that shows progress. And, and I think that, uh, that answer kind of shows where I am. I'm, I'm a half full type of guy, but I'm also going to be realistic too. You mentioned Brian Hoyer and how he played. If you, if you go back to last week and, and obviously I was, I was away. So I missed the game last week. I saw that I, I had to rewatch it, but when I rewatched it, I compared the Luke Keekley pick to the Bobby Wagner pick. And it was the exact same spot in the field, the exact same type of throw. The only difference was that Hoyer didn't turn his back to the defense this time. He was basically looking at Bobby Wagner the entire time and Bobby Wagner didn't clear. And Hoyer, even if, even if Bobby Wagner wasn't there, the, the ball was still behind the receiver. It still wouldn't have gotten to the receiver. So I don't know what he saw there. I don't know if he was flustered. I don't know what he did, but that was, that's not a 10 year veteran sort of move. That's, that's like a rookie mistake. And it seemed like it was his first time playing in Seattle, and it seemed like the moment was too big for him. And I, and I really feel like for the 49ers to be able to do anything on, on either side of the ball, because offense helps your defense by getting them off the field and keeping them off the field, they really need better play from the quarterback. And it's obvious. It's obvious that that's the biggest deficiency. Like you see guys, the scheme works. So if you look at these plays developing, if you look at guys coming open, like Marquise Goodwin, the second play of the game, he burned Richard Sherman on the sideline. He 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 beat him by by almost ten yards. He was wide open on the sideline, and Hoyer overthrew him. So guys are getting open. It's just I'm I'm kind of concerned because Hoyer Hoyer really isn't getting him getting them the ball. And and I know I said I know I said glass half full, but you're gonna hear my half full <laughs> my my half full explanation as we as we get going. Now one thing they are doing is is running the ball 
Carlos had 15 carries, 124 yards, Matt Breida, four for 35 in week two. But even despite them being able to run the ball, they actually ranked 30th in the NFL right now in time per drive at two minutes and 19 seconds. And that's very Chip Kelly-ish. And they can't sustain any drives. They haven't been able to. And looking at Hoyer's numbers, they, they were awful, awful. 15 to 27, 99 yards. He's thrown for 292 yards in two games this year. 4.7 yards per attempt, 7.5 yards per completion uh, with a rating of 60.7. Those are horrible numbers. Um, just absolutely non-functional in the passing game right now. He is making rookie mistakes on some of those throws. He, like you said, it, it was almost a carbon copy of what we saw in week one, the Luke Keekley interception um, to the Wagner interception. I don't know what he was looking at at all. And if the Niners even had decent quarterback play in that game, I felt like they would have won the game. And I mean, I've been saying that for how long if they, cause they haven't had decent quarterback play really, you know, other than uh, Kaepernick for a flash and Alex Smith for maybe a year and a half um, mm-hmm. for quite some time. And it's, it's getting very frustrating. And you brought up Goodwin in one of the concerns I had about him is listen, Goodwin may still very well end up breaking out. He may still be just feeling his way through this offense. And it's only been two weeks. We could be talking six weeks from now, like, wow, I can't believe, you know, we were so worried about Goodwin. But Goodwin has no track record at all. He had four years in the, in the league. He had uh, 49 career receptions. And the Niners brought him in to be their number two and pretty much unchallenged number two. And one of the things I was worried about, and I brought this up on this show multiple times, and I didn't watch a lot of the Bills games. I didn't look at the Bills film. So I don't know how he was targeted, but he had a 44% um, completion rate throwing his way. So a 44% catch percentage. He caught 44% of the targets thrown his way. Now you look at the Niners, he's had 12 targets. He's got six catches. It's 50% along with two drops. So if this is what you're getting out of Goodwin, there's not a lot around him to make up for that. So if he can't come in and make big plays, Garcon's a chain chain mover. But beyond that, there's really not much there in terms of the receiving groups because you have three rookies and nothing against them, but they just don't have any experience yet. Aldrick Robinson's been invisible. You know, I tweeted this out the other day, and I, I understand this team's rebuilding, but can you honestly tell me, Zane, Jeremy currently wouldn't help this team right now? I mean, I know they're rebuilding. I know they want to get guys, uh, the young guys in and things like that, but they let Curly go. Curly could help right now, right? Yeah, I think that that would definitely be something that, that I, I would think would help, but the problem is, and I and we had, we had this uh you know, a little back and forth on Twitter about this was you have to have somebody to get in the ball. And right now, Brian, Brian Hoyer is struggling getting anybody and everybody the ball. Like he's his, his play dictates what the offense does. And I feel like if you can't get good quarterback play, then it limits your playbook. It limits your other playmakers. It limits, it literally limits everything that you can do on offense because everything is in the quarterback's hands. So really it starts with, it really starts with Hoyer and, and, it doesn't matter what receivers they have out there. If you can't get them the ball, then it's not going to matter how wide open they are, or how how fast or how big they are. It, it really just comes down to quarterback play. But but you did make an interesting point that that a lot of the guys that you see on offense, not just the receivers, but other positions too, like Brian Hoyer himself, they're all, they're kind of placeholders. Like we can talk about Garcon as a placeholder, and and Goodwin as as a placeholder as a number two, and Hoyer as a placeholder at quarterback, and. Yeah, a lot of, you could talk about placeholders along the offensive line, like Kilgore, for example. But it, it's really interesting because, and we'll get into the defense in a little bit. But you'll see what side of the ball they're spending their capital on. 
Like they are spending their draft picks on the defensive side of the ball, and they're not surprisingly the better unit. So I'm curious to see, and I'm, I know I'm flash, flashing forward a bit. Curious to see this offseason how they're going to address specifically the quarterback position and their their skill positions on offense to see what they do. Yeah, I just felt like the receiver position is is so thin, and if Goodwin didn't work out, or God forbid Garcon gets hurt, like where do you go? Can you imagine if Garcon gets hurt? Mm-hmm. What this group is going to be. I mean, Hoyer's having a hard enough time now, and he does need people to throw to, and, and the group can get thin quickly. So I don't know. Like I said, in two weeks, maybe I'm saying, you know, hey, I can't even believe I was that worried. But for now, I am. And, and they are just placeholders, and, and we keep saying Rome wasn't built in a day. And, and the Niners definitely spent this offseason in, in the draft anyway, building the defense long term. And they have some players there, and we'll get to that. They have some great players on that defense. And the offense is a bunch of playholders, and I think next offseason, placeholders. And I think next offseason, we will see them invest more draft capital in, in, in the offense. But for now, what they did with placeholders hasn't worked as of yet. But one thing that is working right now is the development of Trent Brown, who has not given up pressure yet. Pro Football Focus graded him out at an 82.7 in week one and an 86. Uh, this past week and week two against the Seahawks, he looks like he's becoming one of the elite tackles in the NFL. Yeah, and you heard in the preseason Von Miller actually say it. He said that Trent Brown is probably the best right tackle in the NFL. And at the time, people thought that Von Miller was, you know, he's he's just paying too much respect and he's overstating it. But you look at Trent Brown, the way that he moves and and every single play, his his man is nowhere near the quarterback. He's been run blocking really well. So He's really taken that next step in, in this beginning part of the season, but it really comes down to can he catch on his tendencies on film? Will he be able to make up for that? So uh, for me, I'm, I'm really pleasantly surprised because he's a huge guy. Like when you, when you go to a 49ers practice, like he is the biggest guy on the field full of big guys. He is, he is just a massive human being. So the fact that he can move the way that he does and play the way that he does with that quickness it's just a testament to his athleticism. And I'm, I'm personally, he's one of the guys that I'm really excited about. Yeah. I thought the line as a whole played better. I think Tomlinson um, being put in a guard helped for sure. And there are definitely still issues on the interior. I'm not, you know, there's, there's definitely still mm-hmm. issues there, but I think they have good tackle play and hopefully the line can at least be good enough. Certainly they're running the ball. So that was a really good sign to see. Now you and Dan talked about Kyle Juszczyk. And that is just a head scratcher to me so far because he was paid. I know he's a fullback, quote unquote, but they brought him in to be more. They brought him in to kind of be an offensive weapon. And, and we talked about all offseason kids. He's sort of going to play tight end. He's going to catch all these passes. Well, he's touched the ball three times in two games. He yeah. was on this field for 17 snaps. And he had, a, he had a nice block to spring hide. And certainly that's going to be a part of his game. But the Niners paying him a lot of money. And you would think that they would find ways to get the ball in his hands. And it looks like he's been an afterthought. I mean, what, what is going on with that? I, I don't understand what the thought process is. Yeah. And that's really, I was really curious too. I, I just don't understand why they're not using him more. I think, you know, one of the things that I can speculate about and, and kind of bring up is again, the quarterback play. If your quarterback isn't completing the normal routine, the routine plays and the passes in your playbook, then you can't really expand your playbook to the, the the smaller things like the fullback screens or we saw him on the outside actually on a mismatch with a linebacker in preseason catch a long uh, a long pass so things like that you you kind of have to keep under wraps until your offense proves that it can execute at a higher level 
So I think Kyle Shanahan, in the coming weeks, you'll see more of Juszczyk just regardless. But I think that in the first couple of games, he was kind of just wanting to see where his offense was at and see where where they can kind of improve and, and focus on those areas first before really expanding the playbook. But yeah, I, I just don't, I don't know. I, I mean, you pay, you pay this guy all this money and you bring him in and he's basically the richest fullback in the league and they're just not using him. It's just really curious to me. And one of the things you, you mentioned Shanahan kind of expanding things. And I have been surprised at some of the play calls over the first couple of weeks. And when I think me personally, where I got a little bit like, just what are you doing? And in the patience that I've been preaching for the last six months on the show, I just kind of went out the window is when they were down 12 to nine and they get the ball back and you got to drive to try to tie the game or, or, or win the game. Right. Mm-hmm. And you look at the play calls there. They run hide. I mean, not really pick up anything, but okay, that's fine. They were running the ball well. You try to get four or five yards there. In the next two plays, and I'm sure you remember this, Hoyer throws an out to Trent Taylor. I don't even think they got a yard. He basically threw it to the line of scrimmage with a guy draped on him. And then a third and long, he throws a slant for like four yards, not even close to the first down marker. That is so frustrating to me when you haven't won in Seattle in how long when you're playing with house's money because no one thought you were going to be close in the game and that's what you come out with at that point in the game yeah that that's what you're bringing to the table and yeah. how can you not expect people to be frustrated at that and and I'm not Shanahan's one of the best play callers in the league right and and I assume that he's going to be moving forward I'm I'm a huge fan of him as as the head of coach hire but what was that it was that Hoyer was that the play design is that where the ball was going I, I don't know but just for that to happen to me as, as a fan and for fans watching at home, I'm sure they wanted to throw their remote through the TV, through the television set. It, it was so frustrating to see that sort of approach and that sort of attack at that point in the game when you're basically playing with the house's money because no one thought you should have been there. Push the ball downfield, man. Take a chance. They didn't get the, you know, the game was over pretty much if they didn't convert there anyway, and and it was. So I, that was very frustrating to me. Very frustrating. We should we should send a note to Kyle Shanahan and just be like, hey, hey, Kyle, can you please save a TV in a, in a Sacco household because Al's put too many remotes through too many TVs? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but- it's gonna be. Um, <laughs> I was not happy with that at all, and I've been pretty, pretty even keel, and I think I am. Yeah. And I tend to look at things pretty rationally, but mm-hmm. that just maybe it was like fifteen years minus the Harbaugh years, you know, the last decade and a half just coming to all to a head. I, I just, I thought that was atrocious. I thought that was absolutely atrocious for those yeah. three plays. It, I'm with it, you. So yeah, I'm with you. That's the, the, the overriding thing to me was if you're going to throw a slant that's short of the sticks on third down, of course, like when they, when they threw them, like, all right, they're going to go for it on fourth down. This is it because they had one timeout left. There was about four and a half minutes left in the game, just under five minutes left in the game. And I, and I was like, they're, they're going to go for it because they basically they can, they, Seattle really just has to get two first downs and the game's over if they get the ball after a punt. So I was super surprised about the play calling at the very on, on the last drive. I think that Kyle Shanahan make a, made a rookie head coaching mistake um, by by calling plays that would take them past the sticks. So and again, we don't know. We don't know if this is because of the limitations of Hoyer or uh, we don't know if if this was one of his reads that he just checked checked off to. We we don't we don't know what was going on. Um, in in his mind so really we can just speculate but on the surface of it I was that that was a really curious call for me too and and the other one that I didn't really agree with was when the 49ers were backed up in their own end and this was I believe earlier in the in the the second half and they were backed up in their own own end inside their own five 
And he called a five-step drop for Hoyer to to get rid of it. And he didn't even get through his drop, and he was drilled at the like the half yard line. It was almost a safety, and they were lucky that it wasn't a safety. And to me, I'm like, why? Why are you throwing it there? You've had a lot of success running the ball. You Carlos Hyde has over 100 yards. He's he's you can gain a few yards here and there just a punting room. And you put yourself in a position where not only do you almost give up a safety, but you have to throw on third down anyways to get out of the shadow of your goalpost. So little things like that. They like I see those cropping up, and I'm hoping that's just like a rookie thing. But it it'd be kind of concerning if if they're going for you know for example a, a division championship and and whoever the quarterback is takes a sack at the at their own one yard line with the game on the line, you know. Maybe it's just sort of his version of Shanahan's version of like holding the ball a little bit too tight as a head coach. You know, maybe he's just trying to do too much right now, or he's just trying to be too safe. He's just feeling things out. I think he'll get it at some point, but he certainly looked like a rookie head coach so far to me in, in terms of what he's doing with play calls and that sort of thing. And I think it'll turn around. I am confident that's going to turn around. It may even turn around as, as soon as week three, but so far I'm, I'm very frustrated. Even going back to week one, when they had the fourth and one at midfield and, and your the interior of your offensive line is getting blown up every play and you call a handoff to use check to go right up the middle. I, I you know, I just thought you have such a good play caller and that's the play you call, you know, and I, I'd like to see him roll Hoyer out a little more, you know, get him a few easy completions here and there. Mm-hmm. So maybe he'll do that moving forward. I don't know. Yeah. I've just been a little bit like, you know what I mean? Yeah, I understand. And look, if you look at a lot of these plays, I, I mentioned this earlier too, if you look at a lot of these plays, they may not be completed passes, but you can see the little nuances that he has built into the system and the scheme. And there are guys that flash open and there are running holes, running lanes to 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 run through. And there are guys executing their jobs, but for example, one thing goes wrong, like a pass tipped at the line or, or Hoyer doesn't get enough time or, or he just makes the wrong read, things like that, that kind of sabotage the play. But I'm going to, I'm going to go with the glass half full argument and say that right now you look at this scheme compared to what it was last year or two years ago, this scheme is far, far, far further along than we were the last couple of years, even though they lost, even though the offense is struggling. You can at least see guys getting open because when Tom Sula was a coach and even Chip Kelly was a coach, guys just weren't even getting open at all. Like there were easy schemes to stop. So it's just a matter of finding a guy that can get get these receivers the ball and get the ball in the playmaker's hands. So I think that the scheme itself is fine. He just needs the personnel to be able to execute it. Yeah, and we have to be patient with that. I, I know because he certainly doesn't have the players. Lynch even said on the John Lynch even said on the radio recently that you know we don't really have the players. We have to be perfect. We can't make those mistakes. So it is what it is right now. It's just it's just frustrating when you've been watching this kind of football recently, and and you just hope for a little bit more, knowing they're still going to struggle, but a little bit more, and you're not getting it. But mm-hmm. what we did get is really good defense, and there are some serious players on that side of the ball. Starting with DeForest Buckner, who got graded out at a 90.5 pro football focus, which is an outstanding grade. Nine pressures and 40 pass rushes, two run stops. He was dominant. And the defensive line as a whole, to me, looked dominant. And what was one of the worst run defenses I've ever seen in 2016? Gave up 4.8 yards per carry, is now giving up 3.3. And again, it's only two games. But this defensive line, they put a lot of capital in it, and it looks for real. Yeah, this was the first time since, I believe, 2014 that the 49ers have allowed less than 315 yards total in two straight games. So we're talking about the Harbaugh years, the last Harbaugh year. 
And that, that team, we know that some of the, the studs were, that were on that team that were the holdovers from the three straight championship games. So the fact that they have approached that level is it's, it's baby steps really, because this is, if you break it down to its most rudimentary level, this is basically like an expansion team. And it's, it's a team full of new faces, a team with a new coaching staff, a team with a new scheme. So the fact that they're able to play, I can't remember the last time the 49ers held the Seahawks to 12 points in Seattle. I can't. And usually on average, the, during this six-game losing streak that they've had in Seattle, they have lost by an average of 17 points. And they only lost by three points. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're, you know, people can call it putting lipstick on a pig, but you have to understand that they're, they're making progress. And, and they went up there last year and they got blasted. And Thomas Rawls ran for like 200 yards. And it was, it was ridiculous. So it, Really, the the defensive line, like you said, set the tone, and everybody played well on the defensive line. There's some mistakes here and there. Like Solomon Thomas played pretty well for the most part. There was one play on Russell Wilson where he he read the read option wrong. He went for the ball carrier instead of uh, keeping contained. But those yep. are rookie things he'll learn. But you know, just just the, they were so stout, and this is all without Reuben Foster. And you can see that they made the corners look better too. Like. You remember a couple of weeks ago, we were really concerned about the corners. I'm not so concerned anymore. No, if they're going to get a pass rush like they did and pressure on the quarterback like they did, it would be similar to, to 2011 when you know they had Carlos Rogers and Cheryl Brown. Those, those weren't great corners, by any stretch of the imagination, but they looked a whole heck of a lot better because of how good the front seven was. And it could be mm-hmm. similar to that this season. And like you said, when Foster gets back, I thought Foster was the best player on the, on the field. When, when he was for the qu- half a quarter he played, he looked that good to me. He was all over the place. He was fast. He just stands out. So if they can get him back healthy, it, it, it's going to be even better. And it was good to see Aaron Lynch and take care of it and get a sack. These guys seem like they have roles in this defense. And Robert, Robert Salas putting guys in positions to make plays you have to be, you feel very good about where they're headed. And if this defense can play the way that they did in week two, Niners are going to be in a lot of games this year. They're going to be in a lot of games. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And and you mentioned Robert Sala and his scheme. I think one of the reasons why the defense is further along is because it's frankly it's an easier scheme. When you hear Richard Sherman talk about Seattle's scheme, and I'm not encouraging anybody to listen to Richard Sherman, but if you hear him talk about their scheme, he says that it's a really simple scheme. They don't try to disguise anything. It's basically all out in front of you. It's a single high safety deep. The guys sitting back there waving and be like, "Hey, I'm back here. I'm I'm basically playing center field." They don't disguise blitzers. They don't disguise anything. It's basically what you see is what you get. And I think that because of that, that learning curve has become much less steep for a lot of these youngsters. And Robert Sala, he's, he's, he's an energetic personality. You saw him on the sidelines. He was cheering. He was pumping his guys up. Like he, he's the exact type of motivator and coach that, that a young guy would respond to. So I think that all of those things kind of mixed together pretty much put together what you saw on, on Sunday was, was a, which was a really solid defensive performance. And right now the offense isn't there. So they're going to have to rely on the defense. They're going to have to rely on them, not giving up too many points. And even in the first game, like the, the, the defense played pretty well, like the, the score doesn't indicate it, but the 49ers had five turnovers. They had the, the turnover, three turnovers on downs and then two, uh, like a fumble and interception. So really the defense has been, Compared to last year, it's been a night and day change, and I'm and I'm so happy to see that the 49ers finally have a top ten defense. It's within two weeks, but they're not ranked number nine right now in yards and points. So um, I'm really really excited about them. And someone who started out the season 
it was really rough beginning, but he turned it around in the first game and, and I, he's really broken out is Chukoski Tart playing yeah. really well, really mm-hmm. well. Um, looks like he could definitely be a starter and, and I, I think it's a neck that he hurt. So you have to hope that he's healthy because now Eric Reed's going to be out for a while, but I think if you plug Tart in there and, and Ward can stay on the field, they're, they're good on that back end. And all of a sudden you have three really good safeties when healthy back there and, and two guys that were definitely really high on to develop in Lorenzo Jerome and Adrian Colbert. So mm-hmm. the back end is looking good. The front seven is looking really good. And, and, and that will um, definitely help any issues at corner, but Quan Williams as well in, in the nickel role played a really strong game. I thought so this defense is headed in the, in the right direction. If it can stay consistent and, this could be a good defense for the next, you know, four or five years. It really can carry this team as they evolve mm-hmm. with the offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you mentioned uh, you mentioned the injuries of safety, and it's just a matter of of getting bodies that they're able to play in depth. And I think that they finally have depth at these positions, so they're able to kind of plug in guys and still have the same sort of the same sort of performance that a lot of drop off. And we'll see this week. We'll see if there is a drop off this week because all of the starting safeties might be out. Aside from Jimmy Ward, they they didn't want him to play too much, but he played the majority of the game. He played a percent of the snaps, so um, I'll be interested to see how he moves and and where they play him. Are they gonna are they gonna rotate him and Lorenzo Jerome, for example, or Col- Colbert, or how are they gonna do it? But overall, Al, the, the the defense looks completely different. It's a renewed pass rush. They're not having to blitz guys to get a pass rush, which is great because you have more guys in coverage and more guys to make plays. So I think that they, they're just scratching the surface. And you mentioned Tank Carradine. It's funny. Uh, Tank Carradine has five career sacks. Three of them are on Russell Wilson. So, <laughs> so they need to just activate Tank Carradine against the Seahawks, and that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> There you go. And I, I like the way that Salah, too, he, he rotates his, his defensive line a lot, and yeah. the, all the guys are making plays. DJ Jones is making plays. You know, yeah. everybody was going in there and, and really doing a, a good job with that defensive line, and a defensive line that's still getting used to playing with each other, a defensive line that's still developing. So really good stuff there, really good. But this g- game in Week 3 is very important, obviously. I mean, not that the Niners, I don't know that they really have any chance of winning the division, but the NFC West isn't very good. At least I don't think so. So who knows, it could be a year where you could sneak in with eight or nine wins and win that division because I believe Seattle's got major issues up front. Yeah. And I, I don't see them as a team that they were in the past. The Cardinals seem like, you know, the wheels could come off at any time there. Palmer doesn't look very good. Mm-hmm. And I guess you don't know what the Rams are. Um, but I think like the Niners, they still have a long way to go. So if the Niners really do have any chance, they absolutely have to win in week three. So it would be interesting to see how they come out in the short week. So yeah. Yeah. have to wait and see, but Zane, do you have any, before we wrap this up, um, we're going to do a segment where we give some game balls out to players and we'll pick a and Alley, each pick a player from the game where we want to give a game ball to, um, that stood out to us. So do you have any player that you wanted to pick for that? Actually, I don't have a player. I have a unit and it's, it's the defense. And as I, as I mentioned before, it's the first time since 2014 that the defense has allowed less than 315 yards in consecutive games. They got after Russell Wilson. They didn't make, they didn't create any turnovers, but they were really close. Rashad Robinson had a couple of really, really good chances at getting one, but they were in his face all day. They, they made him uncomfortable and it took basically like a heroic effort at the end for Russell Wilson to, to pull that off. And, and the fact that they held him to only 12 points was, was phenomenal. It was, it was way better than I thought that they would do. I thought that this would be a, a two touchdown loss 
and the fact that they were in it until the end and even leading this, it it just goes to show like how impressive a job Robert Sala has done on that side of the ball. And I think that you're starting to see shades of that exciting, fast physical defense that we were used to seeing during the Harbaugh years. And it's, it's really exciting to watch. And my game ball is going to go to DeForest Buckner. And I gave the stats earlier and I really think that this guy is going to end up being just a force for years to come. And I'll give you a, what do the kids call it? A hot take. Is that what they call it? Yeah, hot, that's hot a yep, take. hot take. Right. Yep. <laughs> right, I'll give you a hot take right now. Um, is that I think by the end of the year, we're going to mention Buckner in the same breath as, as the Geno Atkins and the Aaron Donalds. Mm-hmm. I really believe he's going to end up being a top five, you know, defensive lineman where you, where he's a pro bowler and a perennial all pro. He's mm-hmm. that good. I, I think he's going to progress that much, and, and the Niners really, really have a franchise type cornerstone player with him there, and then hopefully with Foster behind him, it's you know it's going to be good for a long time with them. So definitely um, looking forward to seeing how the defense. You know they played a lot of snaps this this week, so looking forward to see how they respond in Week Three. Big game for the Niners. We'll see how it all turns out. Hopefully, Zane, yeah. when we talk next time, I'll uh, be a little bit more optimistic and be in a better mood here. <laughs> you got a prediction for us though? Um, yeah, I think the Niners are going to win this game, um, simply because, you know, it's tough for the road team on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Ram- the Rams are, I believe they were just at, um, Washington. So it's going to be back to back. That's who they played, right? They played the Redskins, the Rams, didn't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah so they it's going to be back, back to back road games for them, I think. And oh, um, I think they played in LA. I think they were, were yeah. they in LA? Yeah, they were in LA. Yeah. Oh, never mind then. I still, it's tough because it's, they're, uh, coming to San Francisco. So. It's almost um, like a road game in LA because nobody really cares about. Yeah, nobody record. was. Oh yeah, nobody's even there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody more opposing fans. That's all. That's awful, isn't it? The yeah. team's like brand new to the area. Nobody, nobody goes. It's, yeah, that's awful. And the Chargers um, too. Uh, yeah, they're they're struggling to get attendance. Yeah, that's too. tough. <laughs> is there any team in the league that has worse luck than the Chargers? Oh, the, the, Did you see yeah. how they lost. <laughs> that's a, that's two weeks in a row that they've lost because their kicker missed a field goal. Just just and, brutal. In last year too, they could have been like. They could have been a ten-win team. They blew all those games at the end of the year. Like, just I don't know what the Chargers like. Just awful to be a Chargers fan right now. Like, they're finding every way possible to lose. It's it's really tough. Really tough. What am I talking about? Oh yeah, this game. Yeah, I think the Niners are going to win. I do. I think um, Brian Hoyer will play better. I, I don't know that we're going to be completely happy with his performance, but I think he'll play better. And I think the Niners are going to try to run the heck out of the ball. Really do. Um, I think they're going to run the ball a lot. They're going to rely on Hyde and Breda. And I believe, I don't know that they'll drop 30 points, but I think they could squeak out, you know, a 20 to 17-ish type win here. And and I do see them getting the first um, win of the season. How about you? Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting to note that over the last 22 games, the 49ers are 3-0 three, three and o against the Rams and 0-19 against everybody else. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. There's, yes. there's a half. There's a half full. There yeah, go. exactly. There's a, half, a glass half full right there, right? So the, I think they're going to win. I think. This is this is that game for Kyle Shanahan to kind of put his stamp on the offense and 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 the calming sort of game that the that the team needs to say like hey we're headed in the right direction let's get a win under our belts and and kind of build off of that. You look at what they did last year to the Rams that they shut them out on the first night and then didn't win a game for two months. So mm-hmm. I'm not really concerned about the first two losses because you know winning a game at the beginning doesn't mean anything. But I think that at some point you have to win a game. And I think that that point is this week. This may be over the next few weeks. If you look at the schedule, this may be the only kind of sure win that they have 
So it's going to be interesting to see how aggressive they are. The Rams are kind of rebuilding as well. They do have Aaron Donald, who just came back, but uh, and Todd Gurley had a monster game as well. But you you really have to take advantage of the fact that they have a young quarterback and Jared Goff and, and the 49ers have a, have a young and fast defense and they're playing at home. So I think it'll be... I think the 49ers will put some points on the board. I think this will be like a 24 to 13 game and the 49ers defense will, will step up with a couple turnovers and we'll finally see a touchdown pass from Brian Hoyer and Carlos Hyde's going to be a run of the rock too. I think that Kyle Shanahan's smart enough to know that when something works, you go back to it. And as an aside, if you, if you go back and rewatch this game, when he saw that Carlos Hyde was able to run the ball, they kind of started leaning more towards the run. So I think that that trend will continue if they can run the ball. Well, if it doesn't get better quick, uh, my glass is going to be filled with scotch next week. So <laughs> that's what it's going to be half full with. So. And, your, and your TV will be broken. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, it's not going to be pretty. So, <laughs> But all right, Zane, where can all the fans find you on Twitter? So it's at AlSocco49, and my Twitter handle is at Zane49ers. That's Z-A-I-N-49ers. Not like that One Direction, like Zane Mollet guy. Like I was first, so he actually tagged after me. But <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. And uh, you can email us any or hit us up on Facebook, 49ers Web Zone Facebook page. You guys have any questions, anything, any video questions you want to submit, any questions you have for the show, please submit them and we can read them on the next show. All right, everybody. Till next week. Thanks for joining us. All right. Bye, guys.